Please remain standing for the day's gospel lesson from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I, like you, was delighted that the offering took a minute longer. Greg, you did the Lord's work over there, stretching out that doxology today. It was wonderful. I enjoyed the concert. And, you know, I, I'm Reverend Casey Orr. I'm one of the pastors here at BUMC. And this week, we were um, expecting to welcome Pastor Davis back into the pulpit. But as it turns out, he has not had just a single case of COVID, but a double case of COVID. And as he was recovering from the first round, he actually got it a second time. Such a thing shouldn't be possible, but it is. And so we miss him terribly, and we're continuing to pray for his healing. And he does intend to be back in the office sometime this week and back in the pulpit to start the new sermon series next Sunday. It'll be a series on the letter to the Hebrews. That's Mother's Day, and it's Senior Recognition Sunday. So if I know Davis and I know the Lord... He's gonna be here, all right? So with that, I too extend my welcome to all of you who are worshiping with us online, and that includes today, Pastor Davis and Sherry. We welcome you with us. And kids, it is so cool to see you in worship. I had the distinct privilege of being with our kids in worship readiness yesterday afternoon. We had about 15 of them here in the room just running around, running amok, touching everything, y'all. And I, when I came in and I saw that the bells were set up, I was like, well, this is a poor choice. Um, 
Um, and, and there were a, a lot of little teeny tiny fingerprints on those bells, Greg, just so you know. And uh, so we had just the best time learning and exploring and answering questions together. It was just such a treat. And if you've ever wondered, I, I do, 14 is the most humans I've ever seen inside the pulpit um, at one time. And so it is possible. I think that the youth choir heard that this morning and heard it as a challenge. And so hopefully we will see that there can in fact be more kids in this pulpit someday. So the text that you heard this morning is this account. It's this account of Jesus with his disciples the night before he died. And we read it on the fifth Sunday of Easter, the fifth Sunday after we celebrate his resurrection, which seems really out of order. And it may be out of order chronologically, but it is perfectly in order as it addresses the heart after everything has just changed. So in the chapter before this one, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet in this act of radical love and servanthood and asked them, charged them to do the same for others. He revealed too that he would be betrayed by one of them and that he would be denied by one of them and even still that he would lay down his life for them. Jesus knew what was coming that once he left the table he was at with his friends, he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would be arrested, he would be publicly tried, and then be crucified. So naturally, as they're learning this, they are scared. His friends are scared, their minds are anxious, their hearts are broken. They've just been confronted with the truth that their time with Jesus among them is coming to an end that the one they had laid down their nets for, the one they had walked away from their families and their homes and their livelihoods for is about to be killed. And they cannot imagine their lives without Jesus. He's everything they've known. Not only that, but they can't imagine that one of their own is going to dare betray him, that one of their own could be weak and disloyal. It is as though the ground beneath them is completely shifting. And Jesus knows, he knows. He can feel it, he can feel the grief that they're feeling and he's anticipating how complicated their grief is. There's a book named, uh, by Rebecca Sofer called Modern Loss. We um, use it, some pieces from it in the grief class that I lead here a few times a year. If you don't know, I'm the director of caring ministries and um, a lot of my work is death and dying and it is in grief that follows um, the experience of the death of a loved one. And so we use some pieces of that book. We don't use all of it because it has very colorful language in it. Um, but she lays out that when someone dies, the world looks at you and thinks you're grieving your person. That's what they see. To you, I'm grieving my person. I'm grieving the person that I lost. But she points out that there's this depth to what I'm actually grieving that everybody can't see. There's this underbelly to my grief. I'm, I am grieving my person, but I'm also grieving who I was before they died. And I'm also grieving the dynamics with everyone else in my life which have totally shifted in their absence. And I'm also grieving the milestones that we're not going to reach together. And I'm also grieving the conversations that I wish we had. And I'm grieving the people who've come into my life and who will come into my life, who they would have loved and who would have loved them that they will never meet. I'm actually grieving the milestones that they will never hit, the dreams that I had for them 
everything else that could have been. Jesus knows the hearts of his disciples and he knows that their grief is complex just as our grief is complex. And still, with all that in mind, chapter 14 begins with Jesus' words, do not let your hearts be troubled. This said by Jesus, who has just said many very troubling things, do not let your hearts be troubled, he said. The text from John is read, some of you know, at many, many funerals. And I know this to be true because I have officiated many, many funerals and I have read the text before preaching. And when my eyes lift out of the Bible after reading that text, I meet the eyes of people that are often seated in the front two pews on this side over here. That's the bereaved, the family of the one who has died, the immediate family. And my eyes meet a grieving widow in this front pew where they meet the son or daughter or the brother or sister or in the very worst cases, the parent. And I need you to know that what I see, what I have seen in your faces when some of you have been seated in those two pews on one of the worst days of your life, I've seen your troubled hearts. It's right there on your face. And that's normal. And that's right. Jesus' disciples were no different they too were very troubled, both before his death and after it, even though they had heard with their own ears and Jesus' own mouth and his voice that they knew so well, Jesus was telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled, but they were so deeply troubled. And who really could endure advice like this? Who could stand it? Don't be nervous, don't be anxious, don't be shattered right now. It gets better, time heals all wounds, give it a year, everything happens for a reason. These words won't help. We don't think they could possibly help. This kind of talk, it's meaningless to any of us who have ever received any of those words. Even if the intentions of the messenger are so pure and so good, we really don't know though how they received these words. Because Jesus is Jesus, so probably different. Maybe the tension and, the, and anxiety in the room really did just ease up with Jesus' comforting words. Maybe the tension and anxiety actually grew with frustration that he can't possibly understand if he thinks it's as easy as just choosing not to be troubled. But he goes on, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Now, this is the part that leads us to assume and assures us that our loved one has their own room in heaven, designed just for them with all the things that they love most, that God made room and welcomed them to eternal life, and we can and deserve to enjoy that assurance, that comfort, that peace. But my father's house, is not simply a synonym for heaven. So when we really listen to this, we need to expand our understanding of my father's house. So remember that John is the incarnational gospel, the word becoming flesh, the light coming into the world, the full divinity of God embodied in this one person in Jesus, the coming of Jesus, decisively altering the relationship between God and humanity forever. And so the idea in John that a believer 
a follower would have to wait for a future date to enjoy this full intimacy with God, that's totally foreign. That doesn't add up. So this place that Jesus prepares for them, it's not a location the way we assume, the way we've kind of just grown to think about it. It's not a destination that we earn. Instead, it's this closeness that we can know right now in this very present moment. Jesus is saying that his return to God, his Father, will make it possible for you and for me to join in the relationship that the Father and Jesus share. In John 1.18, the gospel writer says, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The disciples, and in turn we, can move into the place that has been prepared for us. We can nestle in close to the Father's heart just as Jesus did. I love this from Robert Jensen. He put it this way, that we need to think of God's roominess in relation not to space, but to the time God has for us. Time is room in God's own life. Eternal life doesn't begin the day we die. It extends infinitely before the day you were born, and it extends infinitely beyond the day you die. That's eternal. And God is covering this eternal timeline in God's love for you, drawing you close across eternity, assuring you that a place for you is being prepared in heaven, not just while you piddle around here on earth trying to do the best you can, there is a place for you in heaven right now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is right here. It's in this room. It's in the room that you are in in your very own home. It's in the classrooms where you learn and where you teach. It's in the boardrooms where you lead. It's in the hospital rooms where you heal. It's in the streets where you protest. It's on the fields where you play. It's on the stages where you dance and where you sing. It's in the circles where you confess your brokenness. It's in this very room where we worship together. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The place for you is ready. You just have to nestle into the heart of God and find rest there. Enjoy this constant presence, a total entanglement with God. There is a place for you as close to the Father as Jesus is, and nothing can separate you, nothing. And now if you are struggling with this, then you are no different than Thomas. He struggled too, Philip struggled too. I struggle too. Thomas is like most of us. Well, most of us can kind of get down with Thomas. Like, he's just, he just wants directions. Like, just can you just be clear? Can you just be clear and direct? Lord, we, do, we actually do not know where you are going. We do not know the way. How do I get there? How do I get to this place for me? We want directions. We need instructions. We want to see. We want to know. And so Jesus tells them, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life. Well, more specific, you know? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What Jesus is doing is pointing beyond his resurrection now, giving them instructions for after Easter. So not only can you share intimacy that Jesus knew with the Father, but you can also share in his mission if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and we are to follow Jesus, then we are to follow his way and his truth and his life with ours 
We are to live as he lived. We are to embody his values, his posture, his tone, his hope. We're to spend our lives sharing this freeing, abundant life of God, and we are dispatched to do the work. There are two people who I think are quite possibly the most brave, the most heroic, most fierce, most tender, most thoughtful, wisest people in the whole world. And both of them are nurses. The first is the hospice nurse, these beautiful souls. They spend their days every day caring for people as they die, as they transition, as they leave this world for the next. They assure comfort for the dying and the ones that are gathered around the dying in grief. They clean beds, they wipe tears, they become family to those who have none. They are angels. And the other is the labor and delivery nurse. These beautiful souls, they spend their days helping mothers bring babies into the world. They coach women on making their bodies do something completely insane and totally terrifying. They receive babies who will never cry. They become best friend and partner and mom to the mothers who are doing it all on their own. They too are angels. I have had firsthand experience in the room where it happens with nurses at each end of life. Nurses that brought my two babies into the world with me. Nurses that ushered and transitioned both of my grandmothers into their next life. Many, many, many nurses I've been with who have ushered members of our congregation into their next life. They're angels. You've probably encountered them too. Shannon Michael Patter points out that the disciples, as they're gathered in this upper room, are about to be simultaneously dispatched as both hospice chaplain and maternity midwife. On the one hand, the upper room was filled with this unspeakable grief. It's overwhelming. Their hearts are broken, filled with anxiety that is blinding. They are so overcome by grief that they will find it hard to breathe. They will feel like they are physically outside of their bodies watching this show that can't possibly be real, can't possibly be their real life. Not only is Jesus' body about to perish, and not only will they be grieving this person, but they will also be grieving the people that they were before he died. The dynamics with everyone else in their lives, which will shift once he's gone. They're grieving the joy that they won't be able to celebrate with him, the conversations they wish they had with him, the people they will meet and who won't know him. They need a hospice nurse to get them through this. On the other hand, the upper room is filled with Jesus' promise for what is next. As he speaks and as he prepares to go, they know that something new is being birthed. The family is being changed. All things will be made new and even a good thing can be scary. Jen Hamilton is a labor and delivery nurse who is known to comfort her patients by saying, I know it might be scary, but I'm not scared. How many of us have needed to hear those words from a nurse? when we're the one in the hospital, when our loved one is the one on hospice care, I know it might be scary, but I'm not scared. The birth of what will be new is both joyful and terrifying. Like brand new parents, the disciples are on the brink of a new birth and they're thinking, 
do we have everything we need? How are our lives gonna be different with this new responsibility, this new mission? Will I know what to do and say when things get really hard? What are the things that we are just utterly unqualified to do? What people do we wish we had with us on this journey? What hope will we know in this new life? They need a labor and delivery nurse to get them through this. In this moment, in the upper room, they are being comforted with both death and birth facing both death and birth at the same time, and both death and birth are riddled with pain and the potential for transformation. And the calling of the hospice nurse and the labor and delivery nurse is to be fully present, to be totally in the moment. And even though they can't know what comes next in the room, they're ready. We've all tried to get them to know. We've all said, but how many more days? How many more weeks? How many more pushes? We've all asked them and they've said, I don't know, honey, but I'm with you. And I know you're scared, but I'm not. They can't predict exactly how much of anything or how, how long something will be, how much, but they are ready. They are ready for whatever it is. And we need those angels on the days in our lives when we are the most scared, when we're the most afraid, when we're the most uncertain. And in many ways, by the meal that he shared with his disciples, with his friends, by the final words he spoke to them, by the assurance that he was preparing a way for them, a place for them, by the assertion that he is the way and the truth and the life, and by his call for them to believe in him and trust in him, by all this, Jesus is asking them to be as these nurses for his broken world. The ones who follow the way and the truth and the life, the church, the body of Christ is called to do the healing work of nurses for our fear-filled, anxious world. He knows it's scary, but he's not scared. He has prepared a place for us. He trusts us. He just needs us to join him there for the, in the place he's prepared and to trust him in return. He has prepared a place for us, a place in God's presence, a place where we are comforted and held, a place where God will always have enough time for us. He's prepared a place for us, a place at this very table around which we are about to gather, we will bring our fear, our uncertainty, our addiction, our self-doubt, our grief, our sorrow, our anger. We'll bring it all to this table. His disciples sure did. He has prepared a place for us, a place in his mission, a place in his church through which we will follow the way and the truth and the life through which we will forgive and heal and wash the feet of others and help them find a family in this place, a place in the mission to break down barriers and to build bridges, a place in the story of reconciliation and peace. He has prepared a place in the way of salvation, in the truth of grace, in the life of being beloved of God. There is a place for you right now in this very moment in the presence of God. There is a place for you at this holy table. There is a place for you out there in Christ's mission. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said because he has already prepared a place for you and you do not have to wait one more second to go to it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.